Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Thinking Fans Premier League Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Today, we're joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel and professional footballer Dre Fortune. I'm host Chris Mumford. Bella Chow. We're sponsored by the Premier League Guide, a 300-page book for those mad about football. Moneyball for football, opposition analysis plus eye candy. The next available update is on www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Over the coming weeks, we'll be transitioning to the Thinking Fan Football Club podcast platform on your favorite podcast, as well as on YouTube. This week, we review um, several matches, uh, and we take a hard look at some of the lower league table teams and try to do some sense-making. We also chat about surprises and what we're expecting going forward. We preview several matches as well. Harshal, why don't we jump right into the Wolves-West Brom game? Um, probably didn't get too much fanfare amongst the traditional pundits, but seemed to be very important to both teams. Yeah, and um, I mean, it was probably a lot more entertaining than many people thought it would be. It, it, it was the first um, black country derby in a long time. And this is, again, quite uh, a passionate uh, affair for, for, for fans of both the clubs. And obviously, we, we couldn't have that in, in, the, in the stadium. But um, both managers had spoken about how this is much more than just a match for, for fans of both these clubs. And in obviously also because it is a derby, but also because of their positions in the table and what the a win uh, could mean for both teams, and it ended up three two to West Brom, who picked up their first win under Allardyce, um, and only the second time they've had any points. The only other points they've had under him was in his first game in charge, where, where they um, drew against Liverpool. But what I mean, not really talking about the game as such, but. It's it's been interesting to see how Wolves have really struggled this season, and I say interesting from the point of view that even I'm, I'm I've been a little I I think I, the the best word is sad because they've been one of my favorite teams since they came up, and yes, I mean uh, it's it's not your typical rags to riches story or a fairy tale story because they are bankrolled by a, a sort of conglomerate, a Chinese conglomerate, and they do have money and. Their, their links with Jorge Mendes have meant that they've picked up some amazing players who, I mean, you wouldn't really have thought would be playing for Wolves, you know, the likes of Ruben Neves, Joao Moutinho, um, Raul Jimenez. So there, there is, I'm not saying that they're sort of a fairy tale club, but they've still done a very good job with, uh, with regard to Nuno and the coaching staff and the playing staff over the last two years. And they've been Europa League contenders at least, but this season at the moment around the halfway mark, they're in 14th place. I don't think they'll be in relegation trouble. They're, I think that uh, they're around ten points clear of that of that place. But I mean, this season is so tight that you know maybe two three bad results in the next four five games could sort of pull them back down. So we'll have to wait and see. But they've they're struggling to score. They're really struggling to score goals. They've they've scored what I think twenty one goals in nineteen games, which is hardly anything. And Raul Jimenez's absence is a big, big reason for that. But this, they're also not really creating too many chances at the same time. Even though Nuno has gone to a back four to try and get a little more attacking intent and a little more creativity into the team. They do have good players, but 
they're really struggling at the moment. So I I, I feel for them. I feel for the uh, for that Wolves team. Trey, any impressions on either Wolves or West Brom? Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking for Wolves, obviously they've they've shown, like Arshal said, they've been competing for Europa League places over the last couple of years. But um, yeah, they only have one win in their last, I think, nine Premier League games, stretching back to the beginning of December. And with their schedule coming up, they've got you know Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester, Southampton. These are going to be tough fixtures for them. So if they don't pick up points, you know, in the, in the next few games coming up, I think it's going to be. I don't expect them to be in a, in a relegation battle, but I think it's going to be pretty tough for them. And then as for West Brom, obviously, I mean, we know what it is. Every every year, there's those four or five teams that are fighting to kind of keep their way in the Premier League and <clears throat> West Brom's definitely struggling right now. And I think it's probably going to be a tough road ahead for the rest of the season. Yeah. I tell you for, I do a double take when I look at, at Wolves, you know, they're, they're at a minus nine goal differential, uh, sorry, minus eight. And I don't know what's worse. The 29 goals conceded, uh, which puts them around 15th or 16th place in terms of goals allowed or tw- only 21 goals scored. Uh, which puts them probably in equal stead. And so I'm hopeful that they go out in the January transfer market uh, and pick up. Uh, You know, we've talked about uh, them going after Diego Costa, uh, which I think would be a good fit. Um, Whether his legs are are fit enough to play in the Premier League again, time will tell on that. West Brom, not sure what to say. Uh, You know, it'll be interesting to see if if, uh, Sam Allardyce can can work his magic. Uh, you know, he is basically taking a championship level team and uh, keep trying to keep them in the Premier League while his, his other save jobs, they were Premier League players where he was able to save them. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed on West Brom. Let's turn our attention to the Leicester Southampton game. Uh, both of these um, teams came in uh, uh, well rated. Uh, Harshell, what's your take on how that game progressed. I think Southampton are going to struggle um, over the next few weeks because you can really see the lack of depth in their squad now with the injuries that they're getting and the fact that ha- Ralph Hasenutl is having to play the academy kids because he really doesn't have anybody else at, at, the, at, the, at the club. So, I mean, one of the guys who came in for this game, Bill Smallbone, who is an academy graduate, but he has played a fair bit of football for Southampton before, and he's very highly regarded at, at the club. He's now picked up an ACL injury, so he's going to be out for a while. And I mean, he'd only come into the team because somebody else was injured. So that's where they're going to struggle. The only, my, the only, I wouldn't say the only issue, but one of the biggest issues with Southampton is that if everyone is fit, they're a very good side. They can give anybody else in the league a run for their money. But as much as um, Hasanutil has done a very good job in terms of putting out a very sort of well-defined style of play and a, a set formation, set tactics, which make it easy for players to come in. Also because they've sort of, their, their under-23 team is more of a B team in that sense because it play, they play in the same exact tactics and formation and shape and sort of strategy as, as the first team to allow the youngsters to be able to step up seamlessly into the first team. When, if and when they need it. So that is great. But it's still, I mean, they're still kids, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who've not really had too much Premier League experience, top-flight experience elsewhere, who are being asked to do a job against seasoned Premier League campaigners. So that is where they're going to struggle. And, I mean, 
they I, I would have thought that they might have been able to challenge for Europa League, maybe Champions League at a stretch. But I mean, a Europa League, uh, 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 Europa League spot is still not out of the question because they're only four points away from fifth place. But I think where they are in the table right now, eighth is more or less their natural level. As for Leicester, again, extremely impressive. I, I've spoken about this earlier as well that I, I have been very impressed with the job that Brendan Rodgers has done. He's getting players back now. Um, Timothy Castagne is back. Johnny Evans has been playing for the last couple of games, especially in defense, which is where they've been losing, uh, where they've lost players over the over the course of the season. Now they they're getting those guys back. And the creativity looks like it's getting there. Again, I'd spoken about this um, in earlier episodes where it seems as, uh, or it seemed as though they were struggling for creativity. But I thought they did well in this match. They created chances. James Madison was brilliant for his goal. Harvey Barnes was absolutely clinical, and both of these guys are now showing a goal-scoring touch, especially with Barnes, which means that they're not as reliant on Jamie Vardy. So, I mean, they're up. To, they're up to. Uh, Third place, they level with uh, City on points, even though City have played a game less. So, who knows? They they could be the da- a dark horse. I mean, forget they could be. They probably are right in uh, their uh, you know in contention for a Champions League spot this year. Trey, what what are your impressions? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to deny Leicester and, and what they've been doing over the past few years, but they've definitely they've shown themselves well this year as well. I mean, they've beaten City, they've beaten Arsenal, they've beaten Spurs, they tied Manu. So they do they do very well against the other top teams and uh, they're having their successes against the lower teams as well. So I think I think they're going to be you know everyone's talking about Liverpool and Man U up at the top, but Leicester's going to be comfortably in the top four for me at the end of this year. And then Southampton as well. I think they've they've kind of found their level, like Harshal said. I think it was always going to be tough when you look at depth and and depth of squad and you know the the schedule that they had and whatnot. Um, so they got off to a really good start and now hopefully they can just kind of get out of this slump and, and maintain some consistency to finish out the season. Yeah, I think my take on Leicester is as long as Vardy stays healthy, everything's going to be in good shape. And I'd actually say Southampton's in the same boat too. As long as Ing stays healthy, they're going to be in good shape. But that's just not going to happen, I, I mean, I think, in this season. So how are they going to be able to weather the storm? How are the goals going to be able to get replaced? You know, and I, I, I'm trying to to find, as you guys know, I'm a big fan of Giroud, and I'm trying to find a, a, a home where he gets the full 90 minutes that he deserves. And, uh, you know, I could easily see him immediately helping a Southampton um, uh, when Ings is injured, or it'd be interesting to see the two of them play. Uh, but I'm not sure that Lampard is going to want to give away his, his Giroud security blanket um, as I think Inter is coming and Juve are coming at him um, fairly aggressively as well. So, um, so yeah, so I just, it, it's one of those fragile um, uh, stories with both Leicester and uh, Southampton. Um, so we'll just kind of see how that progresses over the coming weeks. All right, let's turn our attention to what was billed as the game of the week, the game of the month, possibly the game of the season, Liverpool, Man United. Dre, give us your take on that game. So obviously there's a lot of hype and build up to the game and, you know, the two teams both at the top of the table and everyone's looking forward to an energetic and exciting match. But I think it, you know, particularly in the first half, it really let us down. I mean, Liverpool obviously uh, was going to dominate the ball and, and possession, I think, and kind of 
force the issue a little bit and it was a struggle for them. I mean, they had a few half chances here and there, but I didn't think it was anything truly clear cut for them to have opportunities on goal. And I think by the end of the game, man, you really ended up with, with the opportunities to win the game. I mean, Bruno had a cutback from Luke Shaw kind of late on into the game, which I mean, yes, it's a good save from Allison, but I think, I think any other day Bruno does a little bit better there to, to put that in the corner and get a little bit more power behind it and finish. Um, Pogba probably had the chance of the game. Uh, that was a brilliant save from Allison, in my opinion. So, you know, he, he really did well to keep him out. And, you know, when you look at it, I think for me, I think this game shows how good Liverpool really is because they started the game without a, a natural center back. They started the game with two defensive midfielders at center back and were still uh, able to put out, you know, a, a decent performance against a Manchester United team who's been playing well over recent weeks. And um, for me, in, in my opinion, I think Manu is happier with the tie than Liverpool might be at the end of the day. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, Liverpool's slipped down the table a little bit again. They're in fourth now, and Manu's at the top. City's obviously got a game in hand. So um, they're going to try to hold that at the top. I don't – who knows if that'll, if that'll last. I think City's going to probably win their game in hand and be up top. But, yeah, I think all in all, I think it was a bit disappointing, that game for me. Arshel, what what was your your take on them? And really, is is Man United a a legitimate contender to win the Premier League this year? I'll answer the second question first. Um, again, ten games from here, if it's a similar sort of situation, I said this last week as well. You know, three four points in it, United um uh maybe in second third but the gap is around three to five points then probably yes it, it, we are at the halfway stage but it's still too early to tell i think and also again because this season is, has been such a weird one you don't know what's what can happen over the next couple of months in terms of injuries to you know either united's players or other clubs and the sort of impact that can have on uh the the results that they'll get so that does obviously mean that you know, luck is going to be a huge factor here. But at the moment, United do look like they're going to be there and there, there or thereabouts when the season ends. In terms of being a contender, may, probably will end up in the top four. How far off they'll be from the title or whether they'll win the title, we'll have to see. With regard to this game, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it did turn into a bit of defense versus attack and it was almost quite similar to uh, a classic Jose, Jose Mourinho performance. Almost actually quite similar to how Spurs played against Liverpool at Anfield and they almost uh, picked up a win, but obviously they didn't. And similar, uh, a, a little bit similar here where in the first half, I mean, there was, abs uh, I thought United had very little ambition in terms of attacking or at least in terms of holding the ball, playing and trying to put together a, a, a bit of uh, uh, possession spells and then attacking. It was all counter-attack, which has worked for Solskjaer, but... I think um, there was something off because, I mean, look at the number of times Rashford was caught offside. And that, that, that's the sort of thing that you don't expect to happen too often if you're, if you're on the top of your game. Because especially with someone like Rashford, who is, rap, who is pretty quick, he was playing at centre forward and with Martial on the left rather than the other way around, which is how they've played for uh, the majority of the season. And you would think that... with Fabinho and Henderson as the centre-backs, he would be sort of relishing his chances of being able to get a run on them. And so, I mean, he could probably give them 
half a yard as well you know when when starting his run because he is quicker than both of them so i was really surprised by the number of times he was caught offside especially in the first half and that tells me that there's it's there's something missing at the time, at the moment in terms of the attack clicking and that can happen i think with the number of games that you play your fitness levels and sharpness mentally can be a, a bit of a problem and as again as they said in the second half united actually had the two big chances it was a good save from alison for the first one from fernandez i thought the second one again a good save from alison but pogba just needed to have a little bit more composure he 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 basically smashes it at alison if he just try to place it into the corner it would have been a much more difficult save i'm not saying alison wouldn't have made the save but it would have been much Let more Let me interrupt there dre do you, in those moments are you thinking instead of smash let me place in the corner i mean what what when the pedals to the metal what are you thinking in there or are you thinking at all i mean yeah i i said to be honest me i i like i i like to to cut that there and just cut the defender and then kind of square up a little bit but um i don't know i in those moments especially at, at that level i think he's got to be a little bit more composed in that situation and uh because i i think if he puts that either side of Allison it's probably a goal especially at, at that power but i think he just kind of maybe a little bit of panic and just kind of snapped at his shot and i don't know why i mean his first touch looked looked good it looked like he put it where he wanted it um but obviously you know at those levels everything happens so quickly and defenders are on you quickly and whatnot uh so yeah I, i kind of agree though i think i think he could have been a little more composed well i i i've said this on previous podcasts i love when when people that hit the ball hit it as hard as they can <laughs> because more times than not it's probably over the the bar and i don't have to do any work or it hits me in the chest or something it's the ones that dink it to the left or right of me and i only have about 7 yards or 8 yards or 12 yards reaction time and it's just like man i don't like that bet um i will say that um alison i i am shocked that he did not win player of the match because those saves there you know what you expect out of a great keeper are some routine work a couple of easy saves and then one or two is just like how did that happen right and i just look at alison in, in terms of physique and it's like that guy's not a top keeper but then when you see the way he performs is really magnificent so uh hats off to him other observations did i misread this i saw um salah on the left and mane on the right a lot and usually i'm used to them seeing them in opposite roles and i'm just kind of curious to see if we could tease out what the what the psychology or what what why did that happen any any thoughts on that I mean yeah we did see that happen quite a bit and I mean we saw Zerdan Shakiri start for the first time in over a year it was his first start in the Premier League in 13 months so that was a bit of a sort of curveball which I don't think many people saw Jurgen Klopp you know yeah. showing and go ahead yeah I think it was just a case of maybe trying to get a little more creativity in the side because you had Thiago in midfield as well and he bossed the game no doubt and i mean his quality is is every is is there for everyone to see but i thought chikiri had a good game as well and it might just have been a case of maybe having sala and mane playing on their natural sides in the sense that the left footed player on the left and the right one right footed on the right to maybe have a little bit more width to then allow chikiri for me you know if he's dropping deep 
from from the from the sort of United backline to have a little bit more space, and then they could move into make those sort of diagonal runs. Maybe that was the thinking behind that. And yeah, I, I think Dre, that was the case. Dre, any 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 thoughts on that? I mean, how how often are players shifting things up for different looks and things like that? Yeah, I mean, it. it I think it's a, a quote unquote normal thing. I mean, probably just. It could be a tactical thing, like Arshal said, probably try to get more width. Um, could be psychological. I mean, these teams and these players have these same matchups all the time. So it could be just to give the defender something fresh and something new to look at as well. Because, I mean, the amount of time Salah's gone up against Luke Shaw, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, it could be anything, really. Yeah. Well, I, I, I found that interesting. I found it interesting that because the two center midfielders were playing as backs, that uh, Klopp put in some creativity, the Shakiri as well as Tiago, with the hopes that you know. I, I really think this isn't so much that the back. Th- uh, sorry, the top three of Liverpool performed poorly. I actually think Manu's defense played magnificently. I mean, they absolutely owned the air, and I'm not talking about winning the first header. I'm talking about the second balls that get a little bit loose, Mane or Salah just didn't have much to work with at all, right? So if they had um, fussed up something, they could they could pick up on that. And clearly they, they feast off of playing off the second ball. But I just, I really thought that Man U's defense, that, that's really the, it to me, the highlight of the game. So yeah, I guess, I guess Liverpool the top three needs to figure out how to beat teams like that. But the truth is this, those top three need to figure out how to beat the mid and the bottom table teams to win the league, right? They don't, and and you want to at least win a few more of the top five or six, if you want, if your objective is to win the league. And, uh, you know, so I I say hats off to to Man United. Um, I do think that they did, Park the heck out of the bus. Everybody seemed like they were below thirty-five at thirty-five most of the time. Though Rashford did his level best to try to create a little bit of uh, uh, stress amongst the back line, but you know those instances were not capitalized on. So, not not sure there's there's too much to glean out of that. I do think that I'm not ready to. I still think Liverpool is the favorite along with Man City. Uh, I think your assessment is spot on, Harshell and. You know, I, I don't think we should make any more of it than we can because there are 20 matches to play and there are injuries that we don't even know about in COVID and all these other things. So time will tell on that. Let's turn our attention to the team that seems to be sneaking up the uh, the table, even though they've got a you know a three quarters of a billion dollar um, in terms of transfer fees, uh, Man City, and how they just dismantled Crystal Palace. Arshel, any quick notes on that match? I mean, it's not too often that you see John Stone score two goals. I mean, I don't think it's too often that you see him score a goal at all. He scored two in this game. Uh, the four goals were pretty, I think, I mean, if you just look at the four goals in isolation, you don't really get a sense of City's creativity other than the first goal, which I thought, I mean, that that cross from De Bruyne was absolutely brilliant. The, the touch before that to, to set the ball where he wanted it and then to f- to get that sort of spin and dip with the outside of his right foot right onto Stones' head. I mean, 
I don't think anybody in the world could have missed uh, the header from the from that sort of delivery that De Bruyne put uh, for him. So that is obviously a brilliant example to show what De Bruyne can do in terms of helping you know create chances for City. But the other goals were uh, uh, a deflection and then a pass from a corner, which was Stone's second goal and the third goal of the game. Sterling scored a brilliant free kick and Gundogan scored another one in the top corner. Those two were literally went into the same sort of poster stamp area, which I think if you would ask a midfielder or a striker where they want to score a goal, they would literally point, sort of pick that area out of, of the goal and both those goals were placed there. So they were, I mean, that that's just uh, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that the goals themselves were probably outliers or, or examples of very low probability events, but City did create a lot of chances. They And I mean, it's it's a good thing because they've actually in their last two games against Crystal Palace at the Etihad they've not done well. I think they've lost they've lost the last two games against Palace at the Etihad. So it was a little bit of a, a, a banana skin which they sort of obviously uh, managed to deal with really well here. I think Gundogan has been extremely like he's been very very good over the last month and a half or so. He's been playing as a a, a bit more advanced role and i think the the fact that pep has been able to put fernandinho in midfield at times to partner rodri or play rodri as a single pivot rather than playing uh, rodri and gundogan as as a double pivot which he was doing earlier has he's basically given gundogan the license to roam uh, and and sort of join attacks and get forward and he's scoring goals he's not i don't think he's scored he scored what five or six goals this season already which he's which is i think the highest he's had in his career so He's been one of the unsung heroes for City for me, along with Stones, Diaz and Cancelo. People talk about Sterling and De Bruyne, but these guys are the guys who've really done well over the last four or five weeks or maybe even a bit longer. And yeah, as, as you said, you know, City have crept up the table. They're, they're in second place. They have a game in hand. If they win that, they go top. Uh, they go a point ahead of uh, United. And they were, I think, in fifth or sixth place some about a month, month and a half back. So... They've put together a really good run. They've conceded just one goal in the last nine games, coincidentally, since the time John Stones came into the team. You know, so Stones is keeping out Americ Laporte and him and and he's formed a very good partnership with Rodri at the back. So City have the best defensive record in the league. They they've looked like they've gotten over the creativity issues that we sort of highlighted uh, about three or four weeks ago. They've scored a bunch of goals since then against the likes of City and United. Uh, sorry, Chelsea and United. So yeah, I mean, we we spoke earlier about potential title contenders. I think, and I I, I I'm going to say that I think City are going to be the team to beat, and not Liverpool, because it looks it just looks like they they've got their act together a bit more than Liverpool at this point of time. So I guess a couple notes. I think you're spot on. Their their expected goals for that game was only one point nine two, and they scored four goals. They had um, 13 shots total, of only of which six were on target and four went in. So uh, they were very, very efficient. Trey, what I, I want to ask you is, what, what's your take on Jesus? Um, Stones has got as many goals as Jesus does uh, this season. And we know that Jesus has, had some, uh, has been out due to some injuries. But what is it and, and how does he get his mojo back? It's tough. I mean... In the beginning, obviously, you you'd want a consistent run of games. You want to be able to be out on the pitch. But for a striker, the most important thing is scoring goals, obviously. And I think sometimes that could be, you know, to their 
to their demise because their their main and sole focus is on scoring goals so much that sometimes you know other things seem to seem to suffer. But uh, he's obviously very talented. He's proven that he can score goals, and I think it's just it's just a slump that he'll work his way out of. And at the end of the day, um, you know Manchester City is a team they've paid big money for some of the players they have, and I think a lot of the time that's what will bail them out that individual brilliance. So you know when Harshal talks about the goals they score, they, I mean they're all from set pieces but they're all, you know, individually brilliant goals. I mean, Gundogan puts his in the top corner. Sterling puts his in the top corner. De Bruyne's delivery, uh, you know, th- those are all things that, that you have to look at that will that will bail them out. So I think, you know, I agree City's the team to beat for sure. I think they're going to, you know, they've figured it out. I think they're in a good run of form. And I think they're going to continue. They've got Villa, who hasn't played since, I think, around New Year's, uh, like, like a, a full full-strength team. Uh, I think that was the last time that they fully played. So I don't know if we'll get a rested Villa ready to ready to run City into the ground, or if we'll get a, a rusty Villa who who you know might allow a few goals in. But that'll be interesting for City. And then their schedule lightens up a bit. They've got uh, I think West Brom. They've got Sheffield United, and I think they've got Burnley. So I mean they're they're going to look to really force the issue and, and extend their lead at the top of the table uh, should they get it. So. Yeah, I, I really like them as favorites for the Premier League. Let's turn our attention. Just some quick thoughts, Harshell, on on Tottenham, Sheffield United. Sheffield United had, a, I mean, a little bit of a revival. They they won their first game of the season a couple of weeks ago. Then they won in the FA Cup, and that could have been a little bit of a springboard for them. Um, I was surprised that Mourinho went with a back three in this game. He sort of tried to match Sheffield United's shape, which I thought was giving. I mean, no, no offense or no disrespect to Sheffield United, but I didn't think there was a need for him to match Sheffield United's shape in order to try and beat them. But I mean, Spurs got the job done anyway. And again, it's the Son and Kane combo. Even though they didn't assist one another for for their uh, for a goal, but Son got Kane obviously scored a goal, and and Tango and Dombele's goal was absolutely fantastic. I, 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 I do think he meant that goal uh, and it was an absolutely fantastic lob from uh, to be able to get it into the net from that sort of angle is brilliant and he is going to be a very important player for Spurs as much as Kane and Son are getting the goals. He's the guy who supplies a lot of the creativity. He's excellent with the ball at his feet in terms of being able to dribble past players. He's very press resistant in that sense. He's, he's able to sort of... his. His turning ability on the ball is excellent. I mean, you just need to watch him turn and feint and get away with uh, the ball and leave a couple of players uh, behind. And that's that's a very, I mean, I'd say that's a very rare quality for a central midfielder. You, you usually see that sort of thing with wingers. So, in essence, um, yeah, Spurs are, are up to fifth now. And I do expect them to be able to mount a, a challenge for the top four. Again, as with United and Leicester and, you know, some of the other teams who we think might be in the title uh, race, it, it will, we'll have to wait and see for 10 games uh, um, more in terms of uh, points. But Mourinho's basically got them playing the way he wants them uh, to play. He's got two very efficient strikers at the moment in Kane and Son who are scoring goals, even though it may, uh, from, you know, chances which may, which other players may not put away. So, as long as that keeps working, they've definitely got a chance. Good. How about in terms of uh, 
Chelsea and Fulham. Chelsea was able to squeak out a 1-0 win. Trey, any, any notes on the Lampard Rubik's Cube of who their better the better 11 is and what what happens here? Uh, well, obviously, Chelsea's been struggling recently. We've, we've noticed that. And um, a lot of it has to do with, like you said, Lampard trying to figure out what, what his best 11 is. I, honestly, I, I have no idea. I, I watch. Uh, um, I have my opinions. I, I still like Giroud. I like Giroud up front. Uh, he started him in this game. But again, you know, they struggled. So it, it's, it's something that, he, that he'll need to figure out. And very quickly. Otherwise, I think Chelsea will will continue to struggle and probably slip even further down the table just with the recent results. I mean, this is their first win in the last, I think, four games or something like that. And uh, that's, quite frankly, just not good enough for the team of their caliber. So it'll be very interesting to see what what kind of changes he continues to make. And hopefully he can figure something out within the next couple of games. Right. Harshal, let's turn our attention to Leeds-Brighton. Leeds lost 1-0. And I think most folks, you know, it seems like half half the neutrals desperately want them to win and the other half want them to lose because they're being too naive. Um, I actually thought Brighton put together a really good tactical game plan. What, what were your thoughts on the match? Yeah, I mean, um, we, we've spoken earlier about Brighton probably being one of the most unlucky teams in the league. I mean, if you look at a bunch of metrics, expected points, expected goals, expected goals against, all of those sort of things Brighton should be, forget mid-table, they should be in the top four, top five, if if their actual results and the goals they've scored and conceded were in line with those metrics. But, I mean, it's it's a, an old saying or, uh, that a lot of people use when they're trying to sort of disprove an, an analytics in football, which is that football is not played on spreadsheets, which is true. But, those numbers can give us a lot of insight. And with Brighton, I mean, I have been a huge fan of Graham Potter, of Graham Potter um, from the time he was appointed last season. He's Because he's basically overhauled the style of play completely. It was a very defensive, um, counter-attacking approach that, uh, that was uh, how Brighton played under Chris Sutton before uh, Potter came in. And he's established style of play where Brighton want to have the ball. They they have players capable of playing in multiple positions and they change positions and formations fluidly th- between games, forget, uh, and within games, you know. So that's all very good. And I mean, it's it's a similar sort of thing with Leeds as well. You know, they're again a very progressive team, easy to watch on the eye, exciting to watch. But this game, I thought, was... I think for Leeds, I think this is, this, I think in my opinion, the, the only the second game, in my opinion, where... They've absolutely not been up to it this season. The first one was the was the game they lost to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, 3-1. This is the second game this season where I've seen Leeds and it looked like they were off the pace, physically, tactically, mentally. I think the pitch also played a huge part. The pitch at Ellen Road was, I think, horrible. And I mean, not that Leeds had anything to do with it. it the weather in England has just been such that, the you know, it, it's it's affected the, the, the quality of pitches. So, but that meant that you know the quick sort of passing game that that both teams like to play was very was a little bit difficult because the pitch was very i mean it, the ball was holding up and it was difficult to play at a at a quick tempo but uh, the the move actually that brighton put together for the for their goal was really good uh and as i said i've been really impressed with some of the work they've done it was only their second 
win of the season or sorry the th- their third win of the season so uh, you know Graham Potter will be hoping that their luck can sort of begin to now turn a, a little more and they can go you know a little bit further away from the relegation spots yeah i will tell you that just on particular that that goal you know it was just as a former keeper you see a a back do one shoulder check uh figure out where the striker is and then just continue to stare at the ball <laughs> and this striker pretty much just moves right in there i mean it was just like uh you you know i i i counsel all young keepers you know make sure your defenders follow your player to the end line or when the play is over and um i know that's so hard to do it's so tempting to look to look at the ball um dre any any thoughts on on leeds brighton um you know any matchups they're they're going to be having going forward uh well just start by saying those are two teams who i think play really really well and it's unfortunate to see that they're not getting the results that they like to get but uh yeah in terms of, of future matchups i mean leeds leeds has leicester coming up soon after after newcastle leicester will be tough everton will be tough and then they've got palace and arsenal so i think those are games that again they'll probably struggle to really get points out of but um you know it'll just come down to the day as it has with most of their previous games and then as far as brighton goes they've got an fa cup game coming up and then they have fulham spurs liverpool so those would probably be tough for them as well um but you know like i said they're two teams that that play really well that we enjoy watching play so hopefully they get enough results to stay in the premier league super well let's highlight a couple of teams that uh deserve some some extra love and and that's those are teams that are a little lower in the table um we chatted just a bit about crystal palace they had a really tough go against man city Harshel, what do you do? You see, Crystal the Crystal Palace is at thirteen in thirteenth place right now. You know they're they're not scoring many goals. Um, they've given up thirty three goals. They've got a minus eleven differential, and they're still in thirteenth place. Do you have a sense that they're doing okay? And you know the McGurical Zaha, what's the role that he's going to be playing in the last twenty games of the season? Palace over the last couple of seasons or even longer have basically been reliant on Wilfred Zaha for all of their attacking play. You know, he was injured for the game against City um, on the weekend. And I'm not saying that that had an effect in terms of the result. I mean, I'm sure that even if Zaha had played, it's not like Palace would have created a bucket load of chances, but they might have been able to maybe create a bit more on the counter-attack or make a bit more of some promising situations that might have developed during the game. So, Zaha is the absolute talisman of that club. Although they have brought in Eberechi Eze from Queens Park Rangers over the summer, and he is another exciting young attacker who can and has shown flashes of his quality. But it is um, it it is his first season in the Premier League, so you can't really expect him to, um, you know, come in and straight away be able to uh, take on the responsibility of of being. one of the two players who is responsible for all of the creativity in this side so they will struggle to score goals that, that there's no question about that but the 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 remit under Roy Hodgson since he's been manager has been to keep Palace in the Premier League and he succeeded at it so far his contract is up at the end of this season and it I don't think it's going to be renewed or 
for for a couple of reasons. I think Hodgson's obviously getting on in terms of age. He is the oldest Premier League manager, and I think Palace now do want to move on to someone else who can maybe bring a little more. um you know a, a bit more of a progressive style of play because they've been playing this sort of counter attacking style reliant on zaha and maybe a couple of other players to score the goals but staying tight and picking up wins against the teams around them to stay in the premier league that's basically been how they've stayed in the premier league and that's brilliant because it's worked for them but and i think it will work for them this season as well because frankly i think there are a bunch of teams who are playing a lot worse than they are who you know will be the ones fighting for relegation and and they have a couple of players who can score the goals to you know it it's very fine margins uh, they've got the players like zaha as a uh, andre uh, sorry jordan ayu on on a good day christian benteke on a very good day because he's really scoring goals but when he does score they they do tend to matter so he's he's got a few players there who can score goals when needed and you know they can win a couple of close games here and there and uh, that'll be enough for them to stay up i think but i think they a, a bunch of uh, players uh, contracts are also expiring in the summer uh, a lot of them are veterans uh, and we could see a, a radical shift in terms of how palace operate in the summer but that will depend on them staying in the premier league obviously and i think they will the hodsons been there done that multiple times so i think he'll be able to do that again. Are any thoughts on Crystal Palace? Yeah, i mean i i've always liked them. I, I would love to see them be a little bit more more progressive as Harshal suggested. I mean they they've got the players for it. They've got, you know, Zaha as a out throw Townsend in there even Bachuai um he's been struggling a little bit as of late but i'll throw him in there as well. And i mean i i think i think we'll probably see them going a little bit of a run here in the next seven games they've got one team in the top half of the table and that's West Ham. So other than that, I mean, you know, they're looking at the likes of Wolves, Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton, Fulham. So I expect that they're going a little bit of a run and kind of, you know, boost their boost their stock a little bit in the table. And I think at the end of the day they'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, they've got some nice pieces. I mean, Ward and Mitchell uh, are both in the top 25 uh with respect to defensive actions per 90 minutes in the Premier League. So they um Zaha it's an interesting you know there's the annual question on whether he would do better at a big club or or can do better in a, in a small club and um I guess time will tell on that um you know Crystal Palace has been able to stay very consistent in in the Premier League and you know you 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 kind of wonder if if it ain't broke don't fix it because if things do break you could find yourself in a Sheffield United or a Wolves scenario um so be interesting to see um where they decide to go forward on that um th- another team that's having some difficulty w- with respect to scoring uh, is been Newcastle uh you know they've only scored 18 goals uh and they their defense has been fairly solid with 27 allowed Harshal what's what's your take on Newcastle situation and their longer term viability I mean anything you uh you you talk about Newcastle at the time has to come with the lens of the failed takeover over the summer mm-hmm. with the Saudi consortium that fell through um Mike Ashley has wanted to sell Newcastle I think almost from the time he started owning it he's he's definitely it's definitely been up for sale for the last 8 or 9 years if not 10 years you know so he's been looking for a buyer for so long he finally managed to get someone interested 
and then geopolitics piracy it just went a lot bigger than just the premier league in terms of that particular deal and it's it's fallen through you know mike ashley is trying his level best to to resurrect that deal and and be able to sell and finally he literally wants to get rid of newcastle but he's not being able to and under him they've gone i mean it's it's they've become a club who are i mean very uh how should i say i mean they they're okay with mediocrity in the sense that they're okay with just survival whereas newcastle is one of the it's one of the most historical storied clubs in english football you know they and in the 90s they were one of the the bigger clubs in terms of challenging the likes of man united and arsenal for the premier league i mean they did they, they didn't win but um they've had some memorable seasons they've they've been great entertainers in terms of scoring goals and it's the complete opposite right now you know steve bruce has copped a lot of criticism over the last few weeks from newcastle fans because they've just been so defensive they and any if you watch a newcastle game you'll see you know it's it's literally i think like the opposite of watching a leeds game in terms of i think if you blink if a leeds game is uh, the likes of you know you, uh, you blink and you miss it you could probably fall asleep during a newcastle game and you'd know how they played because and not in a good way it's not like they they play in a way which is established and oh okay i know that they're going to play this way and it's progressive and it's fun it's more of hey i mean we're going to line up in a back five we're going to sit on the edge of our own box we're going to defend crosses we're going to not try and get on the ball and if we can uh, get the ball up to our strikers and they hold it up and we can get a couple of runners going maybe we can win a penalty and score a goal or or win or, or score from a set piece that's as harsh as as it sounds that basically it in terms of their attacking strategy callum wilson has scored a bunch of goals but excuse me a lot of them have been from the penalty spot this season and since alan san maximan has uh, was uh, tested positive for covid and he's not played for the, for a while now because of that any threat they had on the counter attack has gone so i mean they've also and this has been a trait for newcastle that under steve bruce over the last couple of seasons they've had the ability to pick up results here and there very similar to palace and therefore stay in the premier league and that might just be the case this time around as well but they're not a fun team to watch i and i can completely understand the frustration of newcastle supporters with their uh, you know with how their team plays because yes i mean they do need to stay in the premier league but it's just it's just a very painful watch so i again i expect them to stay in the premier league but i don't expect bruce to I don't know if he'll if he'll manage to see out the season, but if he does, I, I I expect him to be you know there to be a new manager in place in the summer if there's new ownership as well. Trey, what what's your take on Newcastle? Uh, I also expect them to stay, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be down to the wire a little bit. I don't see them really turning their their form around anytime soon. Um, you know, I was looking at their schedule a little bit. They've in the next eight games, it's strictly. top half opposition except for i believe leeds and and crystal palace which are still going to be tough games for them um you know they've got the likes of chelsea man u villa everton arsenal so you know i i think they're going to struggle over their next few games as well and it's going to they're going to have to figure something out very quickly in terms of picking up points whether you know it's a change in their in their play style or whatever it may be something's going to have to change so that they can start putting some points up and and stay afloat because in the last seven games i think they have maybe one win and that's that's not going to cut it yeah i mean 
Newcastle's got three losses and two ties in the last five matches or two draws. And, you know, Wolves has been able to match that. I do think that swapping out Bruce right now, I just don't know if it makes any sense. Uh, you know, I, I think if if one, when the new owner comes in, maybe you make a clean sweep, you bring in some new signings, but I just don't see how a coaching change makes any difference given the talent that they have. Um, so, you know, it's such a storied club. I look forward to uh, some new ownership uh, doing something with that. But of course, that's been a mantra that's said for the last several years. Uh, so, you know, uh, our hopes go to uh, Newcastle finding uh, a, a new owner. So, well, gentlemen, why don't we leave that here for today? Um, we are sponsored by the Premier League Guide, Moneyball for Football, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The current update is available on www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Please subscribe to Thinking Fan Football Club on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. For this week, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao.